As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Miami Nice. Uh, but this is our digression series, Collateral Confessions. I am one half of your taxi cab driving partnership. Uh, we're like a race car driving team where one of us drives for a couple of laps around Los Angeles and then the other one does. Uh, I'm Blake Howard. Katie Walsh is my other driver. Hello, Katie. You should always take the 110. That's always, just my, yeah. always take the 110. <laughs> always take the 110. It's faster. <laughs> 17 minutes, not 16, not 15. But we are joined again uh, by a friend of the show, US filmmaker. Has if you, if you go back to our episode that was on Miami Nice, you hear like one of the greatest stories of just coming to LA and gumption and like freaking just like making shit happen in your life and career that I think I've ever heard in my life. Um, but he's back because this is a man who worked on Collateral, who got to be there like Michael Mann every single night and basically not sleep for like three or four months and actually go over schedule in Los Angeles and also has sampled some delicious taco spots in LA, which he still continues to recommend to Katie and I. <laughs> this is Justin Lieberman. Justin, thank you so much for coming back and talking to us, my man. It's so great to talk to you again. And uh, man, you've got an insight like basically no one else about this movie, <laughs> having worked on it and seen the inside of Ford Pass. We've been excited to get you on the show and talk about all things Collateral. Awesome, man. Yeah, great to be back, Katie. Nice to see you. And down to digress. No, <laughs> no more favorite topic to digress about than uh, idiosyncratic Michael Mann details. So yes. I'm down. So Collateral, it starts, what we got to hear, this is a, a bit of background context. In the recent episodes, we were talking to Stuart Beatty, who wrote the film, Ozzy. He was there. Originally a Russell Crowe thing. I know we'd talk to you. We went through like an incredible like I feel like a turnstile of possibilities with you of like different projects and actors and things that were on this project I think you're one of the first people that told us about the Adam Sandler of it all and we were just like mm -hmm. freaking out about Collateral and Adam Sandler and Russell Crowe and how that would be balanced but then Russell Crowe leaves the picture because he's got his child being born that's what we got some new context from Stuart Beatty which is like I know you, Michael, this project's not going to finish when you say it's going to finish. Yeah. It's going to finish a month afterwards. I'm going to miss my child being born in Australia. I can't do that, mate. And so Michael, uh, so uh, Russell Crowe exits the picture. But you were there through, 
I guess you would have had to have been in the offices when that was going because like my that was I, I guess I'd never really understood Katie I'm not sure about you but I never really understood how close yeah. it was to being a Russell Crowe thing like I'd, I'd never actually appreciated it until one of our recent it, conversations it feels so perfect for Tom Cruise in that role that it's so hard to imagine anyone else doing that yeah. but the fact that he came in you know after it fell apart with Russell is is really fascinating yeah, I feel like Russell's the only other actor, uh, contemporary of Cruz, that I could see it. Like, yeah, you could kind of slide him in, especially at that time in what, 2004, um, coming off of obviously The Insider, but still that that tough guy, Proof of Life. Um, I, I like just watched Proof of Life last night. It was like it's which is a 2000, and man, Russell Crowe's traps in the year 2000, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let's give it up. Just give, give it up, up. for I mean, Russell Crowe's year 2000 traps. I, I know everyone's talking about Jonathan Majors in the Creed 3 trailer, but holy dooly, <laughs> Russell Crowe's traps in Proof of Life. They gave me Proof of Life. Holy dooly. <laughs> now, now um, but yeah, so when I when I looked at him then, yeah. I just loved I loved the idea because he's, you know, Bud White I think is one of the best, in LA Confidential is one of the best performances. It's, it's hard to... It's hard to account for just how big that performance is. And he's truly psychopathic uh, uh, in his, like, breakout performance, Romper Stomper, um, which is a really dark Aussie movie about white skinheads um, in Australia. And, um, but yeah, so it was just really interesting watching this back and going, trying to place the age thing, like wondering about how he would be aged because I guess that was so important to man with Cruz because Tom Cruise now doesn't even look like Vincent. You know what I mean? Like his, his no, hair, yeah. he looks beautiful. It looks younger than ever. And it's just really strange to me that like, oh, how would he have played Russell? Was that always the idea that he'd be this kind of silver fox looking guy? He'd kind of done it with the insider. I wonder if that would feel repetitious, whether he would have gone younger. It's really interesting. Yeah, the, um, yeah, I feel like Russell Crowe's performance that he's done that you could kind of draw a parallel to this fictitious version of Vincent is a little bit of nice guys. What is a nice guys? You know, I think Russell Crowe has a little bit of a sly sense of humor that Tom doesn't necessarily have naturally. Um, that I think, you know, I, I reread the the Collateral script. I took it out after the Stuart Beatty pod. I listened to it. I went back and, um, and so during the, during Collateral during the revision phase of this, and yeah, it was a tight script. Obviously, fame script. Uh, Stuart went over. Um, I can't, you know, prolific script. But Michael. You know, Michael could tinker with a black cup of coffee. You know, <laughs> <laughs> He's, you know. so he he rev he revised the hell out of that. He worked on that for for months. You know, yeah. um, I have I don't know what draft I have, but I have a draft right here that has about nine revisions listed on it already. You know, wow. this is the cherry page. I remember the scripts. You know, they they when they have a new draft of a feature script that's in production, they and forgive me if you guys know this, but they produce copies of different color pages. So there's yes. blue, pink, yellow, green, goldenrod, buff, salmon, cherry. And that way, that's to make sure when you're on set and you look over to somebody else's script, everybody knows that they have the most the right current, pages. Um, the, the right, right page. page, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all I remember is collateral script was like a goddamn rainbow. You know, it was a rainbow for sure. So um, anyway, so in that, in that rewriting process um uh, uh so aaron aaron man michael's daughter at the time her boyfriend jonathan and i can't think of his last name right now but he was kind of a, a la indie film guy he actually went on to 
create and found and be the executive director of the screening series at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Katie, you may know his oh, name. Oh, Sinispia? Yeah, Sinispia. John something. I can't think of his last name right now. So that was Michael's um, daughter's boyfriend. And he had just a brilliant encyclopedic knowledge about film. And, you know, I kind of... Uh, you know kind of presented myself as a big film nerd and knew a lot of film history so michael actually gave him and i a really cool task where we watched a lot of um, billy wilder movies and a lot of like nihilistic film noir movies from the 50s and huh. we actually had this post-production company that did like wedding you know wedding videos i mean they weren't like a, a major motion picture type facility in our office at forward pass on the first floor was this post-production facility and him and I would go down there and watch it and with an editor and they would we would basically rip DVDs and put together these compilation scenes of this very like banter-esque um, ironic dialogue that you saw a lot in um in you know Billy Wilder movies front page Cruz kind of, would yeah. have loved that he like well, does yeah. that he like it's famous our friends at light the fuse um, Drew and Charles, they like that's what he does to to his fellow actors now. He like he goes, go watch this entrance of this, you know, go watch this entrance in the Thomas Crown Affair, and go watch this conversation in this movie, and go watch this sequence in this action It'd be film. Interesting and... to know if he got that from Michael. I mean, crazy. So this movie, uh, Murder by Contract, I remember was a big one. Um, this 1958 film noir, really awesome, super sadistic, really nihilistic uh, main character, and. Uh, also, the scene from the Third Man, the famous scene with Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton on the on the um, on the merry-go-round, when yeah. Orson Welles is talking about picking off one of the dots down there. Would you really care? That's a direct line. You know, that's yeah. a direct riff from Collateral, from um, you know the whole Rwandan monologue, and so that was really cool. So I don't remember Stewart's original script, but I know Michael worked really hard on those scenes those kind of key scenes uh in the cab between max and vincent talking about kind of the meaning of life and you know mm. um and then at the end after club fever after vincent shoots fanning you know right before the car flip that's kind of that big scene where they talk about being pieces of shit versus a monument <laughs> of shit <laughs> um so i remember that vividly like michael really nailing that down and really kind of embracing that tr that kind of uh pitter patter uh ironic dialogue which i thought was obviously awesome and you, you know in a way collateral to me i long for kind of the b crime movie version of them of it yes if you boil it down right it's like one of the best pitches in hollywood like log you know uh, log lines in, a, in, a, in an elevator like oh what are you working on oh, a hitman that takes a taxi and drives around the city at night killing people it's like amazing there's part of me that kind of wishes it, it was it was that you know and at a, at a lower level at a grittier level at a dirtier level um because i think you know michael i think sometimes and you know this applies to some of his other projects he could kind of research a project to death i think in, as a direct you know as a filmmaker researching things comes with a, a a warning sign sometimes you know you could kind of research the death out of projects um get a little too technical you and... you, you know your audience right now you as in katie <laughs> yeah. and i when you research <laughs> a project to death yeah it's like, yeah it, it, it comes with warning signs but yeah no you yeah you know and i feel like michael at times does that i mean certainly you know we were talking about heat two and you know part of the frustration for me reading parts of heat two is like 
you know, a paragraph about what style handgun Christian Hurlis has in 1989 Paraguay and how he could disassemble it. You know, it's just like, I get it. You, you read <laughs> right. this stuff. You, you know this stuff, you know. Right. Um, and, in a, and in a film, if they eventually make this aspirational thing, it's like no words would be spoken, no monologue. It would be a man standing exactly. in a room disassembling a gun, reassembling it, you know, or doing one of those great, like, upside-down blindfold scenes. I can't remember what action movie that's in, but I think I've seen it in about 10, where, like, yes. the guy's upside-down with a blindfold on, disassembling a gun and reassembling it and suspended from the roof. But it's, like, one of those. It's just going to happen, and it'll you'll never yeah. hear about it again. But Michael Mann would know what kind of gun it is, and yes. that would let him sleep at night. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. you got to do the work. Yeah. you got to do the work, <laughs> but you don't have to... Or you, the showing is in the, in, in, the, in the text. That's what's yeah. incredible about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so um, the writing of Collateral from kind of Stewart's story, you know, when I listened to that, you know, obviously everything is accurate, but there was definitely a phase of rewriting that Michael took on that um, elevated or br brought the script to, you know, the level that it's at or brought the project to the level that it's at. And I'm sure that's one of the things that Tom was really excited about. I love hearing you know? that he that he was drawing from Billy Wilder movies and noir movies, because like, it is pretty rare that you just get, I mean, at least these days, like two people in a car just talking and then interspersed with action oh, yeah. and things like that. And so the fact that those scenes are so engaging and you're literally sort of totally in the, the rhythm between them and what's going on. And, you know, I saw the movie at the new Bev, I guess, last year, and everybody was like sort of chuckling or tittering. And I know that this kind of annoys uh, some film goers when like rep cinema audiences kind of like chuckle at things, but yeah. it was actually perfect for this afternoon screening of collateral um, to kind of chuckle at some of Vincent's lines and the foreshadowing. And like, it is ironic, like you were saying, like it's all sort of like an ironic thing, um, yep. especially if you know the film. Um, so it operates both, you know, as this like incredible thriller, but also as this, you know, incredible chamber piece. Totally. I love the idea that it's it's a chamber piece. It's a two people talking that isn't mumblecore or Richard Linkletter. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a different flavor of that kind yeah. of cuisine of just two people talking that doesn't happen a lot in films these days, certainly not action films. Um, you know, it doesn't, it's not Tarantino. It's something specific. And I will say about Michael's writing and, and he maybe doesn't get enough credit as being a writer. Uh, obviously gets credit of being a writer of plot and, and action scenes but um i mean like i don't have to tell you there's some amazing dialogue in heat there's amazing scenes two people scenes in heat you know well, uh there's you know. i have to i have to go back to one thing katie said justin to come back to where to you is also it's like billy wilder was a savant or was a savant at timing pitter patter and then a, an action sequence or something yes. like just totally. knowing almost instinctively where to move we have to p progress forward. There's a lot of engaging where we're sort of arguing, bickering, you know, ironically sort of digging one another and then you move to the next thing. And that's what's also kind of miraculous about Collateral and it is perfect in the pitch of like, we've got the next person to get. So the next environment opens up and the next thing and the next series of stakes and they're growing and escalating. Um, but to your point, Katie, heat in a cinema is needs... Al Pacino. <laughs> yes. Because when you are there and it is so big and so loud and so <laughs> intense, 
When Al Pacino comes in and he starts shaking tables and 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 sort of gesturing the shape of a great ass, the the cinema like goes, oh thank God, like it's so yeah. tense. You really, it's really like I in the last few times I've watched Heat in a cinema, I've thought that, and I think Collateral does. That's why people register yeah. with Collateral because the tempo of the movie is just it is yeah. fine tuned so perfectly scene to scene beat to beat introduction of new character you know uh, conflict you know conflict moment or moment of improvisation like when the whole movie should 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 have the air shot out of its balloon when jamie fox destroys you know uh, max destroys vincent's briefcase it actually starts registering the tension even higher it's like holy shit what's gonna happen now like the way that it all works so perfectly there but yeah you need you need the laughs the laughs help actually cut the tension yeah and speaking of the the tempo and the pace like the body goes out the body hits the cab at like minute 19. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and we already know max vincent annie and fanning pretty well well not fanning yet but oh, like yeah. we know these people we know what they want we know who they are we know like well, we don't know what Vincent wants yet, but we like have a a, a feeling oh, and of we also his know character. Frank. We also know Frank, you know, yeah. the transporter. We know that we know. Yes, <laughs> we know Frank <laughs> Martin very well. We know Frank Martin right. quite well. He has so he transported. Was, <laughs> he, has, he has done, done his, his job. job. <laughs> he was so I was like, awesome who's Frank? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, was she he in character was... as Frank Martin? <laughs> Can you confirm? We need a third confirmation, Justin. <laughs> All in it. I don't we I don't know anything about the transport thing. I, was, <laughs> I think I think that was a little bit of you know I think Stuart was taking a little bit of authorship over no, that I, liberty. But I, I but love, Stuart I love was just cool. having fun with us. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. <laughs> He was having he was he was having a ball while we were asking the most Im- important in inverted commas questions yeah. from the internet about collateral. Was Vincent's surname collateral? There was an even more interesting thing that people didn't pick up. I was like, his name's not even Vincent. And I was like, I love that. I love that. That was great. That was that was that's great. You know what? Off of that, I was actually wondering if his hair is really gray or if it is a yeah. wig. Yes. You know, um, that was great. When Stuart said his name's not even Vincent, that was great. That was a new thing for me. Yeah. Um, but dude, Statham oh, yeah. had such a gas on set. He like couldn't believe he was there for one day with fucking Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, he was, all, <laughs> he was so excited. Um, he was awesome. He just had a blast. And, and oh, we, man. Like I said before, we shot that with like 10 people at LAX with no no lockdown or anything. And he, he just, he couldn't believe it. He was, he was stoked. That would be so that amazing to see a shot of like Tom, Tom Cruise and Jason Statham at peak laugh with each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. We, just, we need it. God, we got to find a behind the scenes shot there. Um, but, <laughs> but that's you know you were talking about something, Stuart. And this is actually since talking, uh, uh, you're talking uh, Justin about the Stuart conversation. This is something I've thought about the most since the Stuart Beatty conversation. Is like we we are all yearning for versions of the clarity of this movie. The clarity of the conceit, yeah. whether you make a B movie version or an A movie version, as Michael Mann made with the biggest movie stars in the world, and I think even you know Tarantino, um, I remember talking about is like you know I love I love Michael Mann. I think The Insider is great, and I love Thief and stuff like. That. And he goes, I just he was yearning for the B movie version of this. He's like, I didn't like that he got yes. Tom Cruise as the most famous movie star in the world. I wish it was a B movie because it feels more like it has its roots in a B movie. And that's when we talked to Stuart Beatty, like, how haven't you made more? Like, how isn't there a I- Russell? How isn't there totally. a, a Russell Crowe one? And his name also 
could be Vincent because his name, yeah. as we've learned, is not Vincent. And he could wear a gray hair and gray suit because that maybe is a thing that they do. Like in a world mm -hmm. where there's like John Wick, um, I'm going to just keep... keep referring to San Francisco. Yeah. Right. Like that, 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 yeah. that idea that you had to him about the San Francisco thing was amazing. I was like, <laughs> yeah, like it, let's it's make it tomorrow. Yeah, and it feels contained and somewhat easy to make by by standards, you know, by by feature film standards. Um, it. We might have to delete this whole part from the podcast when Katie, you, and I just nut this story out. We pitch it to Netflix yeah, and we just, go, yeah. <laughs> we just go. We just go. So if this is deleted, if it's, if it's in, we haven't had a chance to pitch it yet. But, but no, it's. It, but that's I, I. That's what I find really fascinating. But all right. There is something that you have have given us that I, I, I thank you for those preliminary talks. And I think also, yeah. um, one thing I love talking about, uh, talking with you about Justin, and I think that, you know, Katie has been in the biz as a, both a publicist and a journalist for such a long time. And we kind of have a little bit more insight. And I, based on my research, I've kind of got a bit more of an insight. But I love you talking about the process of writing a great script. It might not be wholesale changing things, but it's tweaking and refining like you are just like a, a like a painting. It's like taking a word out, it's moving this, it's giving half a line of dialogue to someone else, they interrupt, finish someone's sentence. Like that's the rewriting process that we're also talking about. It's not like shake everything out, start again. It's like no. literally fine tuning within an inch of its life, the, the script. And so the fact that Stuart Beatty still has a credit as the core screenwriter means, and I think Chris Macquarie talked about it it's something like you have to prove to get a uh, from the Writers Guild of America. You have to prove that thirty percent or more of the script has changed if you want a co-writing credit. And if a director writes on the film, there's an arbitration about who wrote more. Yeah. In any case, I know this is kind of boring, but very very inside baseball. But that that's I think it's it's, it's always fascinating to me that people are like oh it got rewritten a thousand times. Like no, it's not actually. It's just fixing a scene. It's retooling a moment. It's not. It doesn't mean you're like changing absolutely everything. Exactly. Yeah. To me during this phase, and, and I don't know for sure, but I, I could, I kind of assumed that Michael, it had been a few years since Ali and he was going to do the aviator, but he didn't want to do another true story. He gave the aviator to Scorsese. Then I, as I mentioned, he got involved. Well, he did the TV show, uh, robbery homicide division. And that's where he really d dug down into digital technology and kind of a, neo-noir version of LA that even took, you know, went beyond heat. And I know he's very fascinating. He loved that. And he lived that. Um, he's talked about Guzmano Cesaretti a lot as his kind of visual stylist, assistant, or a producer, co-producer on a lot of these movies. It's a friend of Guzmano, a, a friend of Michael's that he's had since the 70s. Guzmano's this awesome um, Mexican-American street artist. He, photography, does all sorts of stuff. So him and Guzmano were very close and Guzmano kind of brought Michael into a lot of these worlds. So there's part of me that thinks this movie was a little bit of like what After Hours was for Scorsese. It was yeah. a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a, not a downshift, but just a little bit of a reshift. And I think Michael, if Michael hadn't done Robbery, Homi uh, Robbery Homicide Division and developed the HD technology and really embraced that and also got exposure to this kind of this world of LA, I don't know if he would have done this movie. I yeah. think those are the two things that kind of drew him to this script and then everything else. Then it's a great script and then Tom Cruise and then action and all that stuff. But I feel like um, this is a movie that feels 
you know, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's it's kind of like minor man, if you were to judge him. And I think part of it is because I think his focus on this was much more connected to the digital photography and the locations in the world more so than this is a story that I need to tell. And I'm really, you know, dying to tell this. Um, so to that end, I feel like his rewriting of it and making it technical and making it, uh, you know, just putting it through his his own process, I think was in a way um, he had, I mean, every director does that to some extent, but I feel like Michael did that to really connect to it because this kind of project just kind of fell out of the air in his lap. And I, I it wasn't something he was developing. And obviously we know he's a, um, you know, crazy developer and researcher and spends years on projects. This was not one of them. You know, in fact, yeah. I wasn't there for Black Hat, but I would imagine Collateral, I, I would, I would posit to guess that Collateral had the shortest time of development in any of his movies. Um, which again, I think that's kind of why it feels like a B movie. You know, there's a, there's, there is a little bit of that, that minor energy in it. Yeah, it is interesting to think about how, like what Stuart told us, where there were all these other, you know, he was sitting on it for years and there were all these Frank other- Darabont, Spielberg, yeah. you know, like- yeah, yeah. Janusz, Kaminsky, yeah. and all these people who came in and out. And and yeah, and, and it really feels like, you know, I don't, I don't want to call it like an exercise, but like you're talking about the digital photography and the locations and it's like, yeah, okay, I have a great like noir-ish, neo-noir script. And I can do this cool, you know, one uh, one night story. And it's like a way for me to explore these techniques and obviously which would go on to inform Miami Vice. Totally. Um, yeah. And even that technology development from collateral to Miami Vice jumped leaps and bounds. And Michael was part of that process. I mean, he was still researching cameras, testing cameras, talking to these digital camera houses. You know, we would we would have meetings with, you know, corporate executives in our office and, you know, they, you know, they look like Wall Street guys and they were from <laughs> Red and yeah. Sony and, you know, Viper, you know, they were, they were, they were execs, for, you know, senior vice president of these tech technology companies coming in. Yeah. Um, I was, I was, just so gonna, I think, yeah, I was just going to say, there's not enough movies that do that. So like, for example, um, a movie that just left off the top of my mind because I've recently been writing about it and studying it was Narc. So Joe Carnahan's movie in 2002. Yeah. And again, very lean, very B-movie kind of script. And one of the things that hugely elevates it, obviously is its cast, Ray Liotta, um, uh, Jason Patrick, but he got a guy, he looked at this guy's work, who was a Rus Russian cinematographer who had done like only documentaries at that time. Um, his name's, and I'm going to totally butcher it, so I apologize in advance. It's Alex Nepomniansky, and he he he'd had an he'd had a vision of doing this, but shooting it like one of these Eastern Bloc documentaries. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if that's not a great excuse to experiment, what totally to 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 sort of express yourself and go, I want it to feel like an Eastern Bloc documentary, <laughs> but it's also a very lean, tight, like a yeah. you know Eastern Eastern American, you know East East side of America, um, twisty cop betrayal undercover movie. And I'm like, that feels like there's a harmony in that. It's like, well, I've got a very, I've, my vision, it has to look like this. And for Michael, the vision is just like 
what brings you to the table. And then you need a text that's actually going to help you elevate your vision or realize the vision. And it's like collateral. It just feels like the perfect fusion. And I remember um, speaking of Tarantino again, he was like, uh, he did an interview with the rewatchables. I think it was, or the Sean Fennessy and Chris Ryan over at the ringer. And they were like, would you ever make another script? And he talked about, oh, I'd love to make first blood, like the but a script that was more <laughs> like the book. And at the time he was joking, he was like, I'd love Adam Driver to be John Rambo and I'd like Kurt Russell to be the sheriff in the town. And everyone's like, well, why can't you just make that movie? Go and make it tomorrow. Please make that movie. Can you go go and make it tomorrow? Why are we even talking? But that for me feels like Michael Mann did that. That was his thing. It was like instead of this was his first blood. It just something came across his desk, something that he wanted to express himself very visually or had a very clear idea of how he wanted to tell the story. And he didn't need to write the story. He obviously needed to tinker with it and refine it and tweak Mm -hmm. it and engineer it. Um, But it just feels like that should be that should be the approach. It should always be about yeah. what is the vision. And if if Robert and speaking of robbery homicide division, is there a high definition version of that that exists anywhere in the world? Because it's on YouTube. You've oh god, Justin. Oh, oh Justin, Justin. <laughs> he just raised his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I I have all of them on DVD. Wait, like it commercially? No. But, <laughs> no. Uh... <laughs> no. I have, um, no, I have uh, high-res exports from the Avid, you know, from from the You dirty dog. Oh, talk dirty to me, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have you guys seen any Robbery Homicide Division? Yeah, but I've seen. I haven't watched it. Katie, it's great. I think, you know, yeah. the more that we do collateral confessions, it it's only be- on YouTube, right? It's on YouTube yeah. and it's really yeah. po- like, it's, it's a tough hang. You have to okay. watch it on, you know, if you've got a, like a nice home screen or you're watching it on your laptop, you will watch it. And it is like the, sh- the show beats work and it's very good. It's, and, and, you know, it's got Tom Sizemore in it. It's like got some other man, um, collaborators several and, actors from collateral yes yeah. a couple of people jump yeah. over yeah. um yeah. but I, I i just remember watching it going this is so gross like whoever uploaded it has uploaded it from what looks like a taped vhs has been then uploaded to youtube so it I doesn't see what i could do for you guys <laughs> oh my God. keep an eye out on the mail maybe oh my we word. see what you have done for others oh. and yes. i will <laughs> I can't Um, believe this is my life. I can't believe this is my life. (laughs) Sometimes I say things and then they're just there. I don't know. Then they happen. Keep saying this crazy stuff. (laughs) We are going to make that next. We're going to make that next collateral movie with Russell Crowe. We are going to do it. Oh, man, yeah, that that would be our trade. Collateral 2, baby. Collateral (laughs) 2. Yeah, collateral 2. So, uh, two things I want to say is uh, collateral, the title was up for grabs for a while. We got a memo at Forward Pass saying, We'd like to hear some suggestions. And again, forward pass the uh, employees at there's only like six of us, maybe eight of us at this point. Uh, we want to brainstorm some titles for collateral. I want to so, know all of them. <laughs> well, I don't remember all of them, but I remember the one that I put out there. Ooh. Oh yes. And I don't want to I don't want to toot my horn, but Tom really liked it and it made it on the short list and inevitably you know michael went back to collateral but the title i gave was off sunset oh i like, I like that, that. I pretty like good right that. pretty that's good. really good off a lot sunset. of meanings it's a, it's a line in the in the film that's off where the, the second killing was yeah 
Um, that's right. a yeah, that's a fifties noir title. That's you oh, watching yeah. the Billy. That's oh, 100%. a hundred percent. Oh my god! Totally where I was. Totally where I was coming from. Um, yeah, and well, also like it kind of it kind of references the fact that it's at night. Yes, at night Almost. in LA, in yeah. LA, yeah. off the whole assassination thing. There's yes, oh, I off! Really- I didn't even think of off. Yeah. Oh. Guys, I worked really hard. I was a you know, twenty-four-year-old, probably <laughs> smoked a bunch of dope and stayed up all night, and chicken scratch writing titles down in a that's in a, incredible. In a Kevin Spacey type notebook from Seven. <laughs> <laughs> they found the John Doe diaries in one part of like twenty yeah. pages was highlighted, and it was just yeah. off sunset. Off sunset. Yes. Well, we know what the title of this episode is, and we also know that yeah. I'm going to make some. I'm going to make some fan posters. I'm going to put a. I'm going to put some. I'm going to have to figure out some fan posters. Colin, I'll it. find some pictures, play around with it. Well, that's my project for the rest of the day. Um, so. We, we teased some of it before. Justin, I think if you listened to our previous episode talking to Justin, um, what he told us was in a, you know, as, as an, as an assistant to Michael Mann, as a person who worked in production at Forward Pass, like he has access to what, you know, what we've referred to as like dossiers or folders of information and all the pre-production. Cause you know, um, when we even spoke to Jonah, uh, Wiener, uh, one of the other, uh, uh, a little while back, who did that feature piece of, of Michael Mann, uh, in the New York times about Ferrari, we were talking about the offices of a pre-production office in Michael Mann's world. Like you walk in and it's, uh, you know, set photography, it's inspirational pictures around the room. It's, you know, cast photos, costume tests, all the different offices of the people that are around. And then eventually that gets synthesized because it gets taken off the walls at some point and it gets photocopied and it gets collected and it gets put into a dossier. And what we can be really happy with is that Justin actually, from his time working on the film, has notes, notes from the production of They're so good. Yes. We've been reading them together occasionally does like I, I think the day that i shared them with katie we were like texting lines back and forth <laughs> to each other like oh yes. my god it's so great so i i really don't know where to start because i almost want to like um i almost want to like just talk about everything but there's the big ones were um i i guess i'll read my one of my favorite things here this is in um this is in michael mann notes and it's Vincent autobiography, and he has four points and some subpoints. He goes, Vincent autobiography. Subtextually, we must see pain of a guy fighting his past to be Vincent. Images, we must see it to imagine it, visualize it to be real. Objection, to imagine the events of Vincent's life in the first person. I was born in. And he said, TC action to journal. So he's referencing that he's going to eventually journal it. There is so many little like things like that. Like subtextually, we must see the pain of a guy fighting his past to be Vincent. It must be. So for me, I read that and I think that's a performance. Like that's a great director's note of like, he has to be performing Vincent. Vincent has to be a performance to him. We have to eventually see the cracks, which we do. I mean, Justin, these are, this is like inside Michael Mann's brain. This is amazing. Yeah, and, and let me just say that, you know, as we're on air right now, I'm thinking that, you know, DreamWorks may knock on my door <laughs> when this is released. I mean, in full transparency, I'm probably not supposed to have this stuff, but I uh, I mentioned her in the last podcast. Our UPM on the show was um, this awesome woman named Marie Canton. And when I first started there, as I said, I was green as green could be. And she said, one piece of advice, any photocopy you make, 
uh, make two and keep one for yourself. So I have at least a, uh, a defense uh, there if they do come I'll, I'll, I'll point to her and say it was her fault it's but the best yeah this Listen, stuff, I mean, at, this, at, yeah. sorry no at some point there's gonna be you're gonna donate this to like some university the academy it'll be museum like, or something yes it'll be like the yeah. michael mann archive the lieberman archive yes. <laughs> of michael mann papers you know this this and, stuff is like good and eventually material. the copies that you have are gonna be like when there was some you know, it's it, like the university libraries in Sydney, a couple of them, there's like original diaries from, you know, uh, uh, former like uh, leaders of states and things like that, that you can only go in and you have to go in with gloves and the turn the pages and watch. Yes. This is the kind of stuff that for Michael Mann nerds, someone will turn the pages with gloves one day. So to have oh, a absolutely. scan of it, it's like- I went to the Warner archive and looked at, you know, memos with white gloves on that were from yeah. 1945. <laughs> like it was incredible. I was like, you know, who was it? The guy, one of those producers, I was like, I'm like, this guy, like Irving Thalberg is like an asshole. Like, these memos are bitchy. Anyway, sorry, we digress on the memo. That may be the title. That may be the title of the episode. It's pretty good. If we didn't have Off Sunset, that would be it. And also, it was, it's in a hot, speaking of titles, it's in hot contention with, oh, talk dirty to me with a candy like, It's one of those. It's one of the, too many titles for this I episode know. so wonderful <laughs> but no this yeah, is but see, yeah, seeing so... this stuff i think what you'll appreciate is how it, how difficult it was and i don't say that in, in necessarily a negative connotation but how challenging it was working with michael yeah i mean these notes are idiosyncratic to specific to a point that's hard to understand and working with him and having his sense of, you know i was talking to a buddy of mine the other day about so there's a so i'll, uh, I'll digress to tell one story about collateral that uh, i was just talking about him um there's a shot in collateral where tom, when tom first arrived to arrives to the first hit the first apartment building um the fat guy that falls out the window definitely not from As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You all right? Oh, shit. Fuck. Hey, he, 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 he fell on the cab. He, he fell. He fell from up there on the motherfucking cab. Shit. I think he's dead. Good guess. Max pulls around back. He opens up his bag, takes his sandwich out, looks at the, the, um, the brochures, looks at the postcard from Annie, and that's all cross-cut with Tom walking up these stairs of this apartment building. And, and then walking across that pathway on the elevated so second that, story. So in that shot where he's walking across, he's pushing camera. For about eight frames, you see a plane in the background. That night on set, I was there, staying right by monitor, right by Michael. We caught a plane flying by in one of the takes. Just an LA, LAX flight, flight path. Michael really liked it. So we waited. We stopped and we waited to see if there's other planes coming. Waited, waited, waited. Maybe we got another take. I don't remember. But we were waiting for a long time. Long enough where Tom came over to Video Village, asked what's going on. And Tom was not, Tom was a very, like, A-list greatest movie star of all time you know he he was very cool on set he was never irate he was never pounding his watch he was very very cool so i'll just say that but he came over just saying like you know what's going on because as you guys know the shot is a very simple shot <laughs> tom cruise walking across a, a you know a, and a it, hallway and, and it's only his profile it's his side profile it's, it's like not, a three it's like yeah, a three-quarter profile yeah, yes yeah. he's pushing camera and Michael said, maybe he played it back, I don't remember, but he said, you know, we had a, a flight go through and I really liked that. <laughs> so Tom said, I'll just scramble my plane out of, out of Santa Monica. And Ooh, I was gonna make a joke. <laughs> I could get my plane to do aerial passes. And I was maybe... going to make a joke that like, oh, yeah. call LAX, send another plane up. And you guys actually did that. Yes, about I'm 45 minutes later, out. somehow <laughs> they got the exact coordinates. And Tom Cruise's jet personal plane was doing passes over downtown LA for the shot. So I'm dying. I'm dead. Yeah, this I mean, is it's too much. It's a match made. In, are they not a, it's match, a match made, made in, in heaven. heaven? Are they not a match Work made in a... heaven? <laughs> yes. So Michael's the kind of guy that wants what he sees when he sees it right now. 
right? But like that's the equation. That's the phrase. Like I want what I see right now. But isn't isn't that think of how and this is the thing that I love. Think of how many goddamn like hours is spent on extrapolating every line in the script so that it has meaning, every piece of motivation for every potential scene, every piece of backstory for every character so that they know what they're thinking and they know what is informing the way that they think to do it, which is what's even more impressive. It's not just writing a great story, it's then pouring, you know, you could write a great script, but then pouring into the characters so that anyone that works on the film, you, they know what the background of their character is, they know the skill sets they should have. But then to be there and to orchestrate the shot and then go, I saw something organic yes. that is so amazing that I have to repeat it. Like that yeah. was the mad, that was actually the magic because this is what's going to make this thing not go on the cutting room floor and make it absolutely essential because the flight going over for anyone who goes to LA, if you're near LAX, yeah. it's just, I mean, if you, if you're in inner Western Sydney, where I used to live over Newtown, like planes are going. There, you know, Marrickville, oh, yeah. where I was, when I grew up when I was a kid uh, in Marrickville, St. Peter's area, if you're at my nan's house, pretty much 7 a.m. because she lived like right near the airport, 7 a.m. to like 6, 7 p.m. at night, boom, boom, like they're just going oh, yeah. over the top constantly. And so just having that, it's like, oh my God, that's. But that so isn't I, even yeah. close to LAX, that location. It's like near downtown. It's like Pico Union, yeah. or I don't know where you guys oh, yeah. shot it, but yeah. like no, yeah, it was it was it was around there. It was like um, near um, kind of east of Dodger Stadium. I mean, no, it's not it's not super close. I lived in Venice for a while, and we would call it the Venice Pause because if you were on the phone, we were right <laughs> by Santa Monica Airport. You know, if co planes were coming in all day, it would be the Venice Pause because you couldn't hear as the planes were going. No, this wasn't near. I mean, L.A. is obviously the, the traffic, you, you know, air traffic is all the time. But yeah. this was something. But to your point, uh, Blake, yeah. And that, that's what that's what certain filmmakers and we don't have to go through, you know, we don't have to go through the list right now. But they their movies feel a little different than somebody like Fincher, yes. who Fincher's a master a fucking Mount Rushmore. <laughs> But his movies are hermetically sealed right. and don't invite that kind of spontaneity right. where Michael um, Scorsese, you know, there's others that, that do. And, and that's what gives them a little bit of extra magic to some of their stuff. Um, yeah, I just I thought you were like I was like waiting for the story to go bad. <laughs> Like, yeah, I was no. waiting for it to be like, Tom got super mad. We were there all night or nope. whatever. And it's just so funny that Tom's like, oh, yeah, I'll just get my, my plane get, to I'll get it up. It, it, totally. And, and super like. For an eight-second shot. Or no, however long eight, it is. Eight, fr eight frames. Eight oh, frames. Oh, my God. It's not even a second in the frame. Oh, my shot. God. It actually, That's... he covers it. He walks He walks, and the plane kind of flies. It, and it's deep background. You don't see a plane. You just see the little light in the sky. I mean, it's. That's it's, wild. Um, yeah, Tom got mad once during in my my perspective, you know, my experience. He got mad once at at uh, a, a PA that was on the forward pass team, one of Michael's PAs, Chris. Um, Tom had a very uh, rigid um, workout routine, close quarter combat routine that he worked on with Mick Gould, and he trained in a um, right near the forward pass offices in like an industrial in an office space. But um, you know, we shot in October, so we shot just. 2004 October 2004 oh my god it's um, anniversary what's that 18 years ago yeah 16 18 years yeah. ago 2000 October 2004 um 
so it was chilly in LA and uh, we had to, Tom really liked his workout uh, room, very hot, very warm. So we brought in probably like eight to 12 um, heaters, electric heaters. And one day it wasn't hot. I don't know if somebody forgot to turn the heater on. I wasn't there that day, but we're got back to the office that Tom, Tom let Chris, Chris have it. And, oh, uh, no. and that was the only, only time though. I mean, that was the only time. And you know, one could say, all right, I get it. He's working out and it's, you know, he doesn't yeah. want to get hurt and or whatever. On, but... and, and he's on it and he's on a clock. He's on a clock. He's it's on like, a clock. Yeah. He's, he's in a routine. A... He's getting, you know, he's getting into Vincent. You know, he's doing the UPS shift. He's like, <laughs> you know, he, he's in it. So, so right. that was the only time. And other than that, Tom was awesome. He was, a, yeah. he had bought food for the crew, not every night, but a couple times a week, you know, food trucks would come in and out trucks or taco trucks would come to set after wrap. And keep in mind, we're shooting all night. So we're wrapping at, you know, 8 a.m., 7 yeah. a.m., 9 a.m. Um, That's nice. Yeah, yeah Stuart, was awesome. Stuart was saying he was the least popular person for writing a movie that only takes place at night. <laughs> it was really hard, you guys. It was yeah. really hard. And, and, the, yeah. and he goes, I was, uh, he's like, all right, bye, guys. I'm going home. <laughs> everyone's like, yeah. I hate this so much. I hate <laughs> yeah. this so much. Yeah. I don't remember. It's funny. He said, I, I don't, I, I'm sure he was, obviously. I'm not calling him a liar, but I don't remember him on set. I don't, you know, he just wasn't one of those faces that I recall, I could kind of see where everybody was sitting on any given night. So he kind of came in and out, but that's the luxury of being a writer when you're yeah. shooting a, a film that takes place <laughs> at night. Um, speaking of night, I rewatched the movie this week and prepped for this. And, you know, one thing that stood out to me the first time I saw it was it's like the most aggressive time jump, like in film history from when Annie gets in the cab to when they're on the freeway, the, the 110 freeway. It just like <laughs> changes from day to night. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> like, true. Yeah. yeah. And literally just like he pulls out of the driveway and it's night. It's really yeah. jarring. I, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if anybody caught that, but it's really jarring. You know, it's really funny. But it's, it's, these are the romance. That's like the plane. That's the romance we allow. It's like for 100%. everything else that is so specific, yeah. just allow that romance. We believe that Edie can afford that apartment. As Manuel yeah. Daga said, yeah. we allow ourselves yeah, the lie. The struggling yeah. graphic designer designing CDs owns that apartment with that view. Yes. But so. I also think it, it's part of like, just like a master filmmaker can get away with continuity errors. Like Scorsese yeah. gets away oh, with oh, yeah. so many continuity errors. Cause like the performances are so dynamic and the cutting is so dynamic that you're like, I don't care where the cups on the table are in Goodfellas. Like I just want to watch yeah. these guys go back and forth. Yeah. And it's sort of like, with Michael Mann, I'm just like so drawn into what the momentum of the story and especially with Collateral that I'm just like, I didn't even notice that the time jump happens like that. I'm like, oh yeah, it must have been like, you know, six o'clock and then suddenly it, it got dark. So yeah. yeah, it's because I'm just so caught up in learning who these people are. Yeah, it's it's like it, the dark night. People talk about the dark night. They're like, oh, what are all these plot holes? And it's like, who noticed? I was having so much oh, fun. Exactly. I couldn't yeah. wait to oh. see Heath Ledger again. I'm like, I yeah. can't wait. It's like, it, it's so incongruous. Yeah, who cares? I was having a great time. It's when you start going, it, I feel like if you notice a continuity error in that, I know some people are like, maybe they're like programmed to spot stuff and it really takes them out of the movie. And I really feel bad for those folk who've like very <laughs> hyper analytical because they just like will literally just destroy their day. But I find that I only really start to pick up on stuff if I'm bored. If it feels like yeah. it's a, if it's a bad movie, hundred percent, yeah, everything's bad. Right, every choice is bad. Yeah, and I'm not even. I don't even think it's a. I'm not even looking at it as like a continuity. Or I'm looking at it as kind of that handmade B movie quality of it. Yes, mm, yes. Mm -hmm. Where it's like you know she's it's a courthouse. I think he picks her up in front of. So you think it's like five thirty p.m. at the courthouse, 
and then driving to downtown. Yeah, it's probably going to get dark in that time if it's like 5.30 to 6.30, right? If it yeah. takes an hour. And he just does it with one shot. And yeah, it's just bang. great. It's just, Perfect. yeah, we're here. Perfect. We're here, exactly. And now it's not. And Stuart Beatty and is hated by yes. the entire crew yes. for four months. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, we... We're going to have to do this again because we didn't even yeah. touch on the notes. I'm just going to yeah, say, totally. like, park it. Justin and I, yeah. have, I promise everyone, because I promise Justin, but I'm going to say it here. We have a, we, we've got a couple of lengthy Ali conversations in us that we've promised each other over the time. Yeah. So we're going to come back and do some, definitely have to talk about that soon. You are a gold mine and a gentleman and we love you. And thank you so much for just everything that you have contributed and spoken to us. We really cherish that you've been a part of the show. And yes. this time you have not disappointed. In fact, you nearly made Katie and I's heads explode. <laughs> My head the... exploded like three times. <laughs> like <laughs> this has been so wonderful. You're the best. We can't wait to digress again with you. Collateral Confessions almost is made for you to just come back and talk to us. So we can't wait. We're going to have to go through some of these notes that you have uh, curated for yourself. And who was that lovely woman who said to, to can you say Marie it? Can Marie, Marie Canton. Marie Canton. And, um, the, the Marie Canton yeah, School is, is, yeah. is, is, is photocopying those things. Just look, thank you. This has just been amazing talking to you. And, and expect some off-sunset posters Fan coming posters. your way love that. coming love it. your love it. way all right yeah, you're super, the best yeah appreciate it guys and thank you it's just it's a blast to be here and and this is uh it's so fun to be part of this community yet i'm not on social media so i don't get to experience it through those channels but just being able to experience it through the pod and with you guys it's if, awesome if, if you ever decide to download a new thing there's something called discord it's where the one heat minute patreon family live and if you you will you've got free access to our fan discord ever to meet some of the absolute loons who love your episodes and love what you've shared right. so if you ever decide that you want to yeah, not I'll dabble with that. main social media yeah. but discord where it's just a it's concentrate like a small private chat room basically <laughs> concentrated fan with dose. the operatives <laughs> yeah. we call them the operatives i call them the operatives <laughs> yeah. they bring us little gems it. of information we that just are we just perfect. say can someone like find antennas? It's just yeah. out there. Just They're just, you just got to grab it. it. They, they yeah. know how to grab it. They know yeah. how to grab it. All right. Justin, you're the best. Right, Thank guys. you so much Thanks for doing so this. Much. All right. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.